We are delighted to announce that there will now be a monthly tournament for the next six months. This tournament is exclusive to OneOuter.com listeners who sign up for a William Hill account using promotional code OneOuter when setting up their account. You can find a link to download William Hill Poker by clicking on the advert on OneOuter.com or through one of the links in the William Hill Poker section. You must use OneOuter as the promotional code to enter the tournament. The first tournament will be Sunday the 23rd of June 2013 at 7 p.m. UK time. The buy-in is only $5 to keep it available to all bankrolls and listeners. There will be added prizes including OneOuter.com t-shirts and some excellent poker books. Of course I will be playing the tournament and there will be a prize for the player who knocks me out of the tournament. As well as prizes in the money in the prize pool, points will be awarded depending on where you finish in the tournament. The best player after the six monthly tournament has finished will be crowned the OneOuter.com tournament champion and receive a very special grand prize. Further details of the tournament dates and prizes can be found on OneOuter.com under the William Hill Poker section. I really hope you can help support the podcast by playing in all or at least one of these tournaments. I look forward to seeing some of you at the tables and hopefully taking your chips from you. So sign up for a William Hill Poker account today and use one outer as your promotional code and the password for the tournaments is ginger g-i-n-g-e-r when inside the william hill poker client just click on tournaments and then the magnifying glass icon to search for tournament enter one outer and you will find the one outer monthly tournaments there thanks for listening Okay, welcome to episode six now of Ask Alex on the OneOuter.com podcast with me, Barry Chalmers, and Alex the Assassinato Fitzgerald. How are you, Alex? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on again, and thank you to all the people requesting and having questions. And yeah, I still feel weird when you say the Assassinato. That was kind of a joke. You can just <laughs> you can just call me Assassinato. Yeah, the one, the only. Yeah, the yeah, Assassinato. yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, yeah, thanks to everyone that, you know, does listen to the show and emails in the questions and stuff because it kind of keeps it going. Um, with the in-depth interviews that I've carried out, I've kind of sort of hit a, I don't know, like, not the end of the road, but just there's not many more other people that I wish to sort of, like, interview that I think would add a different sort of story. So that's kind of, like, calmed down just now. So right. I really enjoy doing the regular show with Alex. It's sort of... I was speaking with Alex before we started recording, and I've not played much poker personally recently, but when I listen to Alex and have a little, you know, chat with him about poker, it does kind of start me wanting to play a bit again, so we'll see if I play, uh, you know, any more after this one. So, uh, we'll get the little plugs out of the way first. If you could follow us on Twitter at oneouter.com, uh, .co, uh, it's at O-N-E-O-U-T-E-R-D-O-T-C-O-M. And you can get Alex, which is at the Assassinato. So it was uh, good enough for your Twitter name. <laughs> yeah, I was good enough. Assassinato was taken. Ah, oh, uh, Assassinato's. Someone's beat there, you there, to it. Yeah, there wasn't. Fortunately, nowhere else on the on Earth was egotistical enough to name themselves the Murder. So <laughs> it's uh, 
I did get that name. Oh, yeah, and uh, write me at assassinautocoaching at gmail.com if you guys like what you hear here and uh, you want me to take a look at your game and tell you all the things that maybe trainers don't tell you in a public video. Uh, hit me up. We can work something out. Yeah, and um, Alex is, you know, as I say, I've said on many shows before, I've had a few que- uh, lessons with Alex, and I could personally say, you know, check check them out and check out his reviews and stuff on Pocket Fives, and uh, I think he's he's widely, you know, agreed that he's one of the best coaches out there. So uh, and he, you get tons of stuff sent to you as well. You sent me lots of like PowerPoint slides and articles and stuff, which I still refer to and. You know, so it's stuff that keeps going. You know, you don't just get a lesson and like see you later sort of thing. So anyway, that's the plugs. That's that's the plugs done. So what have you been up to yourself? Have you been playing much? No, not much. Uh, I bought this uh, gaming computer from the States and uh, wow, man. All right. I don't want to rip this company too much because they've been really nice to me uh, recently. But uh, the company is called Digital Storm. They're essentially a cheaper Alienware. And everybody I know who's bought one of their computers has just had rave reviews. So I was like, hey, I want a computer that good. So I got their Bolt model, and it's like the coolest looking thing. It like has like machine gun metal around <laughs> the base, right? And uh, I got it, and it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen on my Dell 30-inch brag post. And uh, yeah, like the third day, the video card just crapped out right in the middle of a session and i mean like i I was on the final two tables of like four different tournaments and it was uh it was a huge nightmare and uh they're gonna replace the video card for free but the thing that really tilted me about the situation is i was trying to get the computer before i left the united states so i could put it in my bag and take it through customs and coaster and go oh yeah this thing i've had it for two years please don't charge me taxes but instead, you know, they had to send it through the mail. I had to pay an additional $200 in taxes. And the reason it took so long, even though I requested two-day shipping, is they said they were quality testing it. And I can I can kind of believe that. Like, it looked like the video card worked amazing for the first three days. But, you know, the, the good side when somebody, you know, quality tests things for two weeks is you assume the thing's going to work right out of the box and then you know it's a weird like gaming machine so like everybody i took to took it to in costa rica was like what the hell when we (laughs) opened it but yeah i got a new video card in that and uh yeah it's been you know looking to get back into the grind but doing it doing a little more on the side you know trying to do more consultations trying to they're kind of extending from like an hour to an hour in like 15 minutes and uh, mm-hmm. that kind of goes with having kind of a smaller clientele since prices got raised. And that's been enjoyable. That's been pretty cool. But, yeah, hopefully I uh, play again here soon. I played last Sunday, but I was on a really crappy resolution because I was on a backup video card. And, man, it was just <laughs> it was just murder with, like, running bad and stuff. And, like, I busted the Sunday 500 in, like, four minutes. So <laughs> it was, yeah. you know, good times, good times all around. How you been? Yeah. Yeah, not not too bad. Uh, like like I said, yeah, I mean I've not been playing much poker at all. I just I've been into again other bits and pieces, side projects, things I'm working on, um, couple of things with the site, and it's just uh, just no sort of motivation. Or I don't know if it's we've had really for Scotland anyway. We've had really really good weather and really good summer, so I've just kind of like the thought of sitting playing poker. I I just came with a sort of 
realization a few weeks ago. I just I don't think I really love poker anymore. I mean, like I've only played six years. Well, when I first started playing, I mean, it was everything. You know, I, right. high stakes poker. I would sit and watch every one of them. You know, YouTube poker after dark. I wanted to see it all. EPT live streams. That was amazing. You know, I'd be sitting playing with that on another screen and stuff like that. And I just think slowly, I think playing it, grinding those 180s for like a year and a half, two years, and for a decent, you know, nothing huge, it was like 15, 16K profit. That was like, for me, my expenses were low, et cetera. That was like, you know, an income. And it was just sort of, I think with that and all the, a few other ups and downs and MTTs and stuff, it was just a bit, I kind of took it out of me in terms of like, the enjoyment of it it felt like a job and i always try and you know I, i'm not ashamed to say i try and avoid work as much as possible <laughs> in terms of in terms of work that i don't enjoy you know and i enjoyed poker uh but then I, I don't really enjoy doing it you know uh playing that volume or that length of time you know i think like if there was a local live game or something that you know i really wanted to play and i got the sort of um juices going again for it then obviously i'd go along and play it but the thought of like loading up a load of uh tournaments just now and and sitting and playing you know for a long time it just there's other things i'd rather be doing just now or you know i don't know and like we joked about it a guy on twitter was like i can't remember his exact comments but it was like um oh like you're like love the show guys blah 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 uh, please could you you know stop the whole poker economy is a dying or terrible comment I, Actually, I should. Uh, I'm on the computer, so I should get his actual yeah, uh, yeah. thing rather, rather rather than misquote. Let, let's guy, paraphrase. So quit, quit saying poker is so terrible, guys. Yeah, it's, yeah. I, I don't think we ever said that. I think if anything, it's a sense of loss. Like this great friend you don't really know as well anymore because poker is. I was playing checkers the other night at the end of, at the end of my Sunday and after like just tanking right. And I was like, I, my horse was there just watching. I was like, let's play checkers, heads up, let's go, right? And we put uh, $25 on it, right? And I was like getting more of a charge out of like thinking of lines to set him up in checkers than I was when I played poker because a lot of the lines I set up, I've done a thousand times. And it's not, I don't, I really enjoy poker, but it's kind of like, it. it it's more akin to, I guess if you're, like a professional driver i mean the things you change might be fractions of a second you know what i mean and you do get you do cultivate a love for becoming a little more immaculately detailed and very very pinpoint but that that is far different than the strides you made at the beginning and the feelings of oh my god i'm getting good at this and one thing you reminded me of when you were talking about how much you loved it when i lived like uh in the garage in a uh, when I lived in a friend's garage with no bathroom, no air conditioning and all that when I was 18 years old and I uh it, the road I was on was called Casino Road and SWAT hit our block like I think it was like three times in two months like <laughs> full full SWAT out there in gear and like nobody was surprised by the way but it was uh, yeah. it wasn't actually that bad to be around I mean you don't get like a real bad ghetto in Washington state. But you know, I, I would like download. I, I remember I couldn't find the EPT episodes in English back then. And like it was EPT season one. So I'd, I watched like the entire first season in French 
and I didn't yeah. obviously didn't understand anything. Or I can't remember if it was French or German. And I, I just loved every minute of it, and I'd stay up late doing that. Now it's like I, I watched uh, the EPT Monte Carlo final table, and uh, Daniel Negreanu uh, played, like, fantastic, and he's fascinating to watch. And there was a few guys that did some excellent plays, and all of them were terrific players, but I was just so tilted to see the same things I work with every day, like, still prevalent in guys that have you know, it, it, that are getting that far that consistently because I was like, how can they have this thing? Like, how could they have not have thought of this? And they're still, and you realize that like, this isn't, and it, those people probably make more critical game time decisions better than me. I've, I, I, I've regretted a few of the decisions I've made when I've had deep runs and that's on me. And they're all fantastic players, but it's not like, when you watch, like, if you're a basketball player and you might watch Michael Jordan play, you go, wow, there is a reason I'm not in the top spot. You know what mm. I mean? And when I watch Negreanu play, to a lesser extent, but still to an extent, it's like, wow, like, I could not do that. That defies explanation. That's just pure reads. But mm. a lot of these guys, it's like they're just firing. You know what I mean? And it's like yeah. it, it's really tilting to know, like, you know, may, maybe I'm not doing a ton wrong. Maybe I just, you know, I needed to get lucky in a few situations. And if I'd done that, you know, things would have been totally different. But at the same time, it's like, it's not fair to be 25 and, you know, not retired, but certainly very, very relaxed in comparison to my friends that are still grinding it out, even if they got a really good college degree and something. What was the exact thing this guy said to us? Yeah, here we go. It's uh, love the podcast, guys, but can we have a little bit less of how dead depressing the poker industry is? Ha ha. So he's kind of sees the funny side as well. <laughs> uh, well, wasn't that a news story on Pocket Fives? Like uh, poker traffic all time, like six year low. The, was that? I thought I just saw that. Like I, we're not like we're not joking. You know, I mean that <laughs> is part of the game. It's like it's tough now, and like. There's a lot of guys I play with nobody's ever heard of, like in like just poker stars, high stakes tournaments, and they're they've been playing poker one two years, and they play better than I did after like eight, you know, mm. like they, the game is very, you know, people play very well, and from a professional standpoint, it's very fascinating to see how far the game has come and how sophisticated the game is, but from a financial standpoint, it's very deflating, and not exactly motivational to get out there and be like, yes, poker. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, I've been sort of hearing recently, I've been speaking with a few guys and with me not playing uh, locally and that again, they speak to me and they say, oh, it's total change scene live now. You know, these young guys, they're just playing any two cards from anywhere and doing whatever. And you're like, well, you know, <laughs> it's like that's that's the game sort of changing and evolving. But there's definitely not as many recreational players now that play online regularly, right. you know, as, as there was a few years ago. I mean, even in the UK, the commercials and stuff for it um, are a lot lower. I mean, it used to be on Channel 4 regularly, Channel 5. I mean, the shows are still on, you know, re regularly, but not to the extent that they were uh, three, four years ago. And obviously all the Full Tilt money came out and stopped sponsoring shows, so there's less of them even being made. But uh, there's definitely not the average... I don't think there's as many, you know, Joe blogs in the street that is jumping onto poker stars at the end of the week and, you know, dunking off $100. I, I just don't think that. I think 
it is being passed. I think Neil Channing wrote a blog that was great, and it was about how the the poker industry, you know, has changed, and these young guys, they're all like, uh, you know, immature at the table. They're criticizing yeah, people's I play and things like that. And you think that what do they want to do? Just like all play amongst themselves and like just let the rake win, you know, just cannibalize yeah, the yeah. whole industry sort of thing. They that don't drives, realize that they need these guys. That drives me absolutely nuts. Like, can't what one thing? I was really surprised. Maybe I just ran really good, but nobody was really tapping on the glass the last time I played in the States. It seems like people are starting to understand you can't really, like, go after these people. And if there was a young guy, like, mouthing off, everybody would be like, just shut up. Like, yeah. no, no, like nobody cares. Like, go play hide and go after yourself. Like, yeah. it's just, it, it, maybe it was just, God, it was like, it was so nice to be, you know, and there were some guys that, Everybody kind of had played poker a bit in all these tournaments I played, but you know there were still errors people were making, and nobody like made a big comment. The only person who got a lot of negative comments was me, but like <laughs> I could handle it. But it was yeah, it was nice. And then you compare that to God, like some of these places I play. It, actually, it seemed like I I didn't go to the Venetian this year because it's just a bunch of young guys that put a stake up on two bus two and everybody for some reason thinks the venetian is super soft and everybody's tilted out of their mind listening to the slot machine do the same song for the 334th time and breathing in the cigarette smoke and they're just yelling at everybody about every stupid thing they could do and it's like well okay let's you know let's all trade coolers and i i'd like to think i i've bested my game to get ahead of all those people but for those guys i have no idea what they're thinking because it's like you don't have that big of an edge and now you're destroying it you know yeah. like i i don't get it period and uh it's, it, it makes it so uncomfortable could you imagine playing like chess like could you imagine chess players like really like berating each other like <laughs> constantly over a six hour game how uncomfortable that would be but yeah. uh, anyhow <laughs> That would be quite funny. Yeah. Just, I think they like do you it say, at times, but not not yeah. as much. Yeah, I think certain characters in any you know game or sport or whatever will. But like you say, it seems to be this thing with poker. It's the it's the norm of like a, an almost sort of I don't know an elitist or a snobbery of like right, right. you know these people like ah you don't you know you don't five bet shove with air so you're you're beneath me sort of thing or you know it's it's strange it really is strange or either that or they're just deluded so far in their head that variance has is, gotten fooled you this know this is what i love about poker those people do not get rewarded there's a lot of like bankers that have no clue what they're doing and my government just hands them a bailout and they hand each other bonuses and they you know go go wacky yeah. whack each other off and talk about how great they are in poker yeah. these people just go broke like yeah. and it's it's lovely because i don't have to listen to them anymore and maybe you're starting to see that in the states a little more it seemed like a lot of the professionals i ran across like i was trying to goad them at one point like i check raised bluffed one point on a 964 board and the guy like jammed on me after a lot of thought. And I said, sevens, I wanted to see where I was at just to see if anybody would like scoff or anything. Mm -hmm. And you saw all the quote unquote pros look at each other. And then you could say they were like, don't look at each other. Don't make a note, you know, like <laughs> don't do anything. Whereas like when I would do that at the Venetian or if I did that with a bunch of the young guys that are going broke, it'd be like, <laughs> listen to this yeah. guy, 
you know, it, it's kind of <laughs> nice to see. The one thing I like about poker is you, you are seeing kind of the cream raise. As far as just enjoying the game, you are seeing the cream rise to the top. But, I mean, that's a very selfish reason for me. I can withstand the swings a little more. But I, I think uh, Mr. Channing is really right in that respect that, like, you're seeing the young guys kind of make this a very unenjoyable experience for the older folks. And that's really, I mean, you got to realize they paid the buy and they deserve to hang out and do what they want. You know, let, yeah. let them go and have fun. Talk to them. Find out where they're from. And by the That's way, it. if you're friendly with them, they let you get away with a lot more. You know, mm-hmm. if you're if you're just that jackass in the back with the, you know, the hoodie on and the headphones and looking really intense. And, you know, like I I spend all the time on my game, but I have I don't need to shave because when I show up here, I'm just that mean. You know, yeah. it, you're probably <laughs> you're probably going to get him a little more testy when you try something about it because it seems like you came there to rob him and he, he doesn't want to feel like he just threw his money to some jackass kid. Yeah. It's like they're out for a, you know, it's enjoyment for them. It's not the, they're not grinding out the rent money. They're there to enjoy it and gamble and say, you know, a good game when they get put out or, you know, some of them get lucky and they'll, they'll get their sort of thing. And it's, I think it's just respect though as well. You know, if you're sitting at a table with a, other human beings it's like would you act like that like what you're saying the chess comparison would you act like that if it was something else you know would you start berating a guy over you know it's just the way he's played a hand i let i I let my wife play like a 185 dollar tournament in vegas right I, i was like go knock yourself out have fun right because i had to be there for a while and like she and she'd never played a live tournament before so i was like hey if anything, if you ever get confused about anything, just ask the dealer and it, that they should be able to help. And they, she got at a table. There was a bunch of like older gentlemen from Texas and they were just perfect gentlemen to her. And I could I was like, oh, thank God. Right. Because, but then I was thinking, why am I thinking like this? She's dead. Yeah. She's dead money. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like she she could get lucky. You know what I mean? But at the same time, it's like, yeah, and there was like some guy wearing sunglasses, obviously blazed out of his mind, like in just like criticizing her everything she did. Like, and I was like, (laughs) you know, and I I, and then bringing up the fact, oh, your your husband's a professional, huh? Like trying to say that's the only reason you're in here. And it's like, dude, what is your problem? She came here to have fun, you know, and and by the way, he, she doubled through him, which was about the most (laughs) satisfying thing ever watching from a distance. But it was just like, I couldn't understand. Like it it was just, why am I worried for my wife to play her first live tournament? You know what I Mm -hmm. mean? Like she, this should be a fun experience for her. And the dealer wasn't that friendly when she had questions, but there were a few guys. And this was kind of the thing I was liking about America this time was there were a few guys super helpful and very nice to her. And that was yeah. like, that was pretty nice. And that's something you see actually like in the United Kingdom, I've noticed people are pretty cool to each other, but then there's like, I don't know, like Denmark is all into that. Like we are the agro tards. <laughs> we will, we will <laughs> let you know you are bad. Like, and it's kind of when you, they, I've heard people uh, who run the EPT express frustration that they can never get anyone to come to Denmark because it's just, uh, obviously there's a myth about the Scandi players, but also there's just this not friendly feeling when you walk in there. And even just being American, like I didn't feel that welcome 
when I sit yeah. down at the table and it's like, God, you guys, like I, I could be just dead money, completely dead, you know, mm-hmm. like, and now I never want to come back here again. That's it. That's why I don't get about the guy's comment to me recently when he said, oh, all these young guys, you know, they're coming in live. It's just a minefield now. They're playing any cards. They're... Well, if even if they're not, but if they, if you think that they're bad players, then you want to be playing with them as much as it's possible. Right, no. I don't, I don't, I don't get this mentality that you want to sit around the table with eight other total, you know, and these guys even some of them aren't even. But let's say you are an amazing player, you know, I guarantee you, Phil Ivy would probably sit around with like eight rich fish than like Isaac Haxton, Jason Mercy, <laughs> or whoever else, yeah. you know? No, I mean, I mean, there's times. One one of the best games I ever played uh, in Europe was the most boring game I've ever played in my life because I had to just fold everything because everything turned into an all-in by the river, and yeah. you know what I mean. And they they ran and they they run uh, they ran and gunned and they went after me every time. So like I pretty much I didn't have the money to play this game, so I was just like jacks are better, you know what I mean. And I go in and like I would make quite a bit of money for a 19 year old you know and but at the same time it was boring as hell it was the same thing in south korea but there's no reason you don't but the thing was i had a tolerance for that because i was 19 and single and had no dependents but i can totally understand why some of these guys if they have kids or a normal job to relate that to it's been kind of bizarre like i did two lectures last week and uh the majority of the money i made i tanked on sunday you know what i mean like and obviously they're in different accounts and stuff like that but when you have something to relate to it you're like oh, maybe i would like a slower game where i know what the hell everybody's doing and maybe yeah. i could get away from some of these spots and this is the thing that sucks about no limit hold'em is it's a very exciting game but it just it i think amarillo slim said it was like you can uh you can shear a sheep a thousand times you can skin them only once and yeah. it's a it's very a thousand times. Sorry, I forgot the S. But they, it really is like No Limit Hold'em just cleans people out, and it yeah. just sucks. Like when we used to run home games in high school, we couldn't keep anyone coming. It was just me and three friends, like you know, and people would come in, lose their money like four times, and it was only the really resilient people with a lot of money that would keep coming in, and then. You know, you'd see there was one guy in the game who was a real smart ass, and it was like, God, dude, just shut up. And then that was eight, nine years ago? And it's the same thing on an international level now. Anyhow, I I can talk today. You can't. Yeah. No, I've got a sore throat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to pick up the slack for you, Barry. Yeah, cheers. Uh, Well, what we'll do is I think we'll go to the questions. Um. There's a few questions emailed in, and one of them is a kind of like almost guy's story, and he's looking for your advice. So I think we'll save that one to the end. All right, all right. Uh, it's, it's quite interesting. So let me just pick this one. Okay, now this guy emailed in, and his name is Paul Sharkey. Uh, all right. Quite a cool name for a poker player. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Um, yeah, and where are we? It's uh, hi Barry, well done on the Alan Boston podcast, top draw stuff. I agree with them there. Uh, check that <laughs> out if you haven't already checked it out. Now, this is a, a, a question, I'll, I'll put the question to you, then we can get your thoughts on it. Um, can you get Alex to perhaps have a wee think about 
three examples of situations where it is advisable slash acceptable to fold aces pre-flop. Okay. <laughs> like, uh... so, and then I actually, to be fair, I emailed back and said, okay, I just want to you know, clarify this question because I did discuss something like this with Brian Rast in an interview about the hypothetical, you know, you get aces first hand of the World Series, the whole table goes all in before you. Uh, what's the correct play sort of thing? You know, we ran it through um, Poker Stove and all that stuff, bits and pieces, and he did like a full analysis into it. And obviously the answer was to go for it in that occasion. So I, I sort of said, was that tournaments or cash games trying to be like, you know, because I, I, I thought three occasions that you pulled down. Uh, and he came back, uh, really applies to in general, really. Um, now he says this, which I think is quite strange uh for example i might fold aces in a cash game if it was the final hand of the night and i was up 800 pounds i might say you know i'm not getting involved in this uh i'll, I'll just like lock up my 800 pound and fold mm-hmm. um or on the tourneys in a bubble if he's got aces uh he would fold if there's two all-ins before him and you know there's a small stack and things like that so the guy sounds like, without trying to judge him, I don't know the guy, but he sounds very conservative, and he says he's played poker 40 years, so right. he sounds, uh, you know, quite... So oh, just what's your thoughts on it? Well, to, to be fair to him, he's probably played 40 years because he's, you know, a little careful with his money, and this is... I guess this is a survival instinct in the way people play games now. However, uh, TJ Cloutier, I, re- I remember saying one time when he heard about people passing up on opportunities trying to lock up a win and instead like chasing when they do get losses they kind of sit there and play nitty the whole night and maybe not play as well he 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 would call it eating like a hummingbird and shitting like an elephant and yeah. it, it you kind of if you want to make the maximum amount of money you're getting you know you're getting a series of investments in poker and you're just trying to lock into the most positive ones my work often is we're making a bet this guy needs to fold 43 percent of the time he folds 51 oh thank god uh this is awesome you know and to think of like how hard you work for some of those spots versus good regs and the idea of just folding aces when you could be an 80 20 favorite uh are you know even if there's a couple hands against you you're rarely under 65 uh, I think I'm not actually perfect with those, but that that's kind of preposterous. I, I would really advise against that off the top of my head. The first hand of the WSOP, if like eight people moved all in with aces, it would, it would, uh, if you think your skill edge is so great in the tournament that you're likely to just double up by not showing down a hand, then maybe you have a, a, a you could start striving for that, but obviously the price you're getting uh, compared to what you're going to get paid off on regularly is far, you need to call there when your chips, it's essentially like a cash game, right? That, you know what I mean? Every, uh, every 1000 is worth 333 real dollars, but it's essentially a cash game. Everybody's chips are worth the same. So you need to go off on it. If you're at the final table, of the World Series of Poker and eight people move all in and you have aces, that is a lot more interesting. I think actually you might have to fold 
mm-hmm. that I don't know for sure. But that's always been the one I've wondered about. But then, you know, it's one of those things. What are the chances I'll ever be in that spot? You know, yeah. and if this were like a WPT final table and four people moved all in and I had aces, I could never see myself folding. But, you know, if the difference between payouts was like 800,000 and like 6 million, uh, really likely you're going to be up there if you just yeah. fold. If you hit the full button, you, you might want to consider it then. Uh, the other time is obviously in multi-table satellites, there's times I've just hit the sit out button. And like uh, gone and taken a shower, folded aces, kings, all sorts of hands. Uh, there's just absolutely no reason to get involved. Uh, that show, what what did they call that poker star show where they let a normal guy go on there and have? Remember that uh, guy who fold pocket aces? Yeah, the poker stars. Uh, was it Showdown or something? Yeah, something. They get they give you a certain amount of money and you get the key. yeah the loose cannon. The loose cannon gets some. Yeah, the loose people. cannon. Yeah, and it's like yeah. you, you know you got like you got a house that desperately needs repairs and your wife has been worried about this whole poker thing and you have like eighty thousand dollars locked up and then two people move all in you pick up aces. Yes, you're losing money when you fold, but that's not really great money to lose right now. You know what I yeah. mean? Like that could be worth quite a bit. And there's, yeah. there's times I, I have a lot of times guys, I fold like Queens and not Kings preflop, but Kings postflop like way more liberally than a lot of people, because I, I think I could, there's certain like bluffs I can do with a degree of certainty, a degree of profitable certainty that are ex, not extreme, but like, I can prove all day and night. And there's times I'm facing a re-raise post-flop with an overpair where it's like his range possibly can contain a few bluffs, but if I'm ahead here, I'm very narrowly ahead. And it's like, why would why would I even bother? And, you know, and there's there's times I've bet folded sets. There And uh, a lot of people thought in that uh, 235, uh, I, what was it, super stack, in the WSOP, I bet folded uh, trips on a- and I was wrong. I had mm-hmm. a guy, I had a guy raise me. He looked like as sure about his hand as I'd ever seen anybody sure. And I had King Jack on a King King XXX board, and I was like, this is King Queen Ace King or Aces in my mind, and I folded and he showed Aces, and I felt like a dumbass. But and there's a, a lot of times like post flop you can justify like folding like Aces and Kings, especially like. Okay, on that same situation, let's say he's got that 800 pounds and he gets, uh, he, uh, he raises, uh, some guy raises, he re-raises, the guy, the guy calls, the board comes 10-9-6, two diamonds, the guy checks, he bets, the guy check raises. Occasionally it could be queens and jacks, but maybe some of the time the guy just check calls. It's like, okay, this is the nut flush draw or it's a set. If he just, you know, if he's one of these grinded out pros where he's going to be very devastated if, uh, he gets it in here and he loses and he's going to play bad for the next three sessions. If I were his coach, I'd say, just go ahead and fold. I would be very angry. We were at that point. We couldn't move forward and make more money if he thought it was a profitable spot, but mm-hmm. he has to do it. I, and, uh, I think this is something a lot of the old school grinders do a lot better. It, it, it kind of like translates from cash games to tournaments, maybe why they're not doing, as great in cash games, but you still see them going deep in tournaments as they can let go in these marginal situations. Whereas, yeah. you know, I, I don't think Isildur or Phil Ivey has ever let go 
of a marginal <laughs> situation in their life. And maybe that's why they're rocking the high stakes. And perhaps you don't see as many of the older guard up there. Yeah. Well, I, I, when I was thinking of it myself, I mean, I remember when on the Brian Rast episode, which you can still get um, on oneouter.com, you know, or through iTunes, we discussed it, and I think we ran it through Poker Stove, and as you say, I can't remember the exact figures, but I think against, like, eight other random hands, or I think we ran it against, like, total cooler, you know, aces against kings, against queens, against, you know, jack, right, whatever. Right. Um, totally hypothetical. I think aces came out at around 30% or 25%, something like that. Um, and Brian Rass' argument was actually that it was worth taking it on because you would have so much more chips you're going up to like 200 and you know whatever thousand right, right. and that would give you such an edge going forward when the chip you know when the the levels are still going up and then you come into the ante period you would have such a dominance over the table that you could then start to put real pressure on guys that were thinking i'll get a better spot you know you could yeah, you could effectively set situation so, yeah yeah so he argued that you know that's a chance to go for that money in the main event where you're going to have to survive so many coin flips and stuff anyway, to give you that much of a uh, head start, that it, it is worth, you can't fold, you know. Yeah, that was... You can't fold aces there. That was something that was really interesting to me watching Patrick Antonius play one time, is uh, he got out ahead in an APT, and I just noticed he fired the third barrel every single time, because if he fired the third barrel and it didn't work, he went back to his starting stack, and, yeah. you know, but to everybody else, that was the tournament. Like, if they called and they were wrong, they were down to, like, two or 3,000 back when you yeah. got 10,000 ships in the EPTs. And it, it really occurred to me, you know, you, you might, in cash games, I just do a lot of, like, all-ins because I, I'm pretty sure the guy is, like, I can reload, I call. But in tournaments, I go for the safe bet. Everybody will call a lot more because... Then, then it's like uh, in wrestling when you have the guy down and in a chokehold, you're probably are we're not allowed to do chokeholds in actual uh, <laughs> wrestling, but uh, a half Nelson, and you know you really have the guy at a disadvantage, and you might take a little, you know, you might lose a little value to get the guy in that spot because you're so much more likely to finish the match. And there was a yeah. y- y- anyhow. Yeah, and you touched on it with the satellites. Uh... Obviously, if there's like 50 seats available and there's 51 players left and you're second in chips, you've got aces and a guy goes all in and, uh, you know, it's maybe close to your, you know, I don't know, three quarters of your chips are happy. There's an argument to fold because, you, as you say, you're guaranteed to see it essentially if you just set out. Mm. Um, so it's there. But I think I think the statement by the guy that sort of made me think that it was too conservative and that sort of real old school kind of i don't want to say outdated but just a different way of thinking like if you're sitting at a poker table and you've made 800 pounds and you're playing cash and you get aces and you're saying oh i've locked up this win then i'm folding i i don't think you should be playing that game I don't that, think is, that is a really good point you're playing too high Cause... yeah you're playing too high because essentially as you say you're you don't see it as one night it's one big long game and all these decisions i mean that's out there enough now that people should be aware of that concept that you just make the right decisions as much as you can you know it's one big long game so if you've got aces and a guy's all in even though it's the last hand of the night it's not the last hand of your life sort of thing so 
you're you're going to probably be as you say 80 20 you know so put your money in yeah and i mean to be fair to that guy there's a lot of businesses like coca-cola wouldn't put all their operating capital down on one investment yeah you know what i mean so like if the money is worth at your business to you like if you're in way above your head there is an argument for preservation but then the question becomes why the hell are you in that spot so yeah yeah that's it. So, well, we hope you, we've sort of tackled your question, uh, Paul Sharkey, and that's Sharkey with the EY. <laughs> Thanks for writing, uh, Paul. Yeah. Uh, the next guy is Charlie Cairns. Um, okay, I'll just read this as they are. Uh, Hi, Barry. Been mulling over some concepts in my head for a while and wouldn't mind Alex's take on some situations. Uh, first one is you get dealt kings and say mid-position online, a few levels in a small stakes MTT. Your average in chips. I've noticed this in similar games. Raises are not respected. <laughs> Move up to where they respect your raises. <laughs> um, folk want flops and will call most standard raises to get one. So what is the optimum strategy? A huge raise or three bet often gets a table of folds. Should we be standard three bet in our good sides raises if several limpers? Limpering shoving seems absurd. I mean... Uh... You want to take this a little further. Yeah, I mean, shoving does seem absurd. If I understand the question correctly, it's it's kind of like you, you, there's guys who just sit there at a table and then somebody opens a 2.5x and they shove 87x with aces and it's yeah. because they're so terrified of them being cracked. Uh, and you think this is ridiculous, but there's a lot of people that do this in a much smaller form post-flop. It's like, and I, th I think we can uh, tailor this to like how we grew up there's some guys that a lot you know like their parents were very loving and th the community was very nice and they think things are supposed to go good for them all the time and something that's really fascinating to me about north americans that i whine about constantly is uh they've been told they were special since they were kids for doing absolutely nothing so they're mm -hmm. they're expecting to win a lot of the time so they uh they might push a little too hard on that hand and then when it comes back at them, they're just devastated. And then if that happens a few times, you know, then they just get incredulous when really that's selective thinking. And then there's another extension of this, uh, the way I was, which was, you know, expecting bad things to happen. I was a very cynical person. And when I did, it was just confirmation for how unlucky I was. And then I would veer from it. It, the only thing that's going to get you like feeling really sound is strong analysis. I don't know what a range looks like post-flop either. Therefore, I use simulating tools. I use Flopzilla. I t go, I think he's calling with this range. So on this flop, he's going to have this, this percentage of the time, this, this percentage of the time. Oh, look, I'm still way ahead. You know, okay, so put, a, put in a bet. Now he raises here. What do I think his range is? And, okay, and a lot of times you'll see you'll get to the turn, you bet. It looks really good. You're making a lot of money. But then he raises, and his range is very tight. You need to fold. And instead of going, oh, my God, this is the worst spot thing that's ever happened to me. I had kings, and it had all that value. The, one of the hardest things in poker is letting go, accepting reality on reality's terms. Yes, it could have been a good hand. Yes, this could have been the fifth time it's happened to you. But if you really crunch things, this is reality. It has nothing to, with, to do with you being luckier or unluckier. I could go on and on about how unlucky I've been in tournaments, but it's not any MTT or can. The ones who actually get through it are the ones that, you know, they can't, they realize they can't control that. It, it has nothing to do with that. 
you have to control what you can control, which is putting in money when it's ahead and letting go when you, when you, when you can't, uh, this is one of the biggest problems I have with moving guys from low stakes to mid stakes and mid stakes to high stakes. They play fantastic until they get a big hand and they know they're, they know they're not good anymore, but they can't hit the fold button. It takes a lot of practice to just, you know, hit the fold button. And it takes, I, I make myself slam the fold button when I know it's bad. Like I, my horse is like had his jaw drop when I've like bet, 60% 60% of my chips on the river and the guy's jammed. I've just folded top set the second the guy jams because I'm just positive it's not good. And most of the time we get shown a better hand or we talked to it in the few times we can find out what it is. We're right. But everybody knows it's not a good hand anymore. But they sit there and they hem and haw and talk about how good the hand used to be and then they lose it. Ask yourself, here's another question to ask yourself every time. This is like true north for a lot of players would my opponent be doing this with the best hand that i beat so find the hand that's right underneath what hand you have and find out if he's raising a lot of times people have kings on like okay the board is 10 6 7 4 they bet the guy raises on the turn it's like well would the, our guy do this with jacks or queens maybe but it seems far more likely he might be doing this with a you know a slow played set a slow played straight Something, uh, even if it's a pair and a flush draw, we're not that far ahead. The, and then the other question is, would he be doing this with a number of missed draws? And you're going to find if you actually graph it on Flopzilla, taking, and this is a very long form answer, but this is the real answer. Uh, mm-hmm. If you actually put it on Flopzilla, missed draws do not make up a big part of most people's range. It, it, you have to be including every draw you can think of before it becomes a really significant portion. So if all you can do is put the guy on a couple straight draws that are missing and maybe a couple and then ask, I mean, you just become a detective and it's really, it's not that hard. Like if you're talking to somebody about it, all these guys I do classes with know the answer when there's no stress, nothing, but they can't communicate to themselves at that time. So you can do uh, another thing you can do is record yourself and talk through every decision and once you realize you have no logic for a lot of the things you do, because you will stop talking when you get it in there wide, and you're, when you know getting it in with an overpair is wide, or when you try to explain it, you will not have an explanation, you'll realize you're playing poorly. Yeah. I think, I think that's right, and you touched on it there. Um, when you're playing these small stakes tournaments, uh, I think the key thing is just to pay attention to the table and see, because you could be at a table with guys that are playing pretty ABC or you could be at tables where it's the first level and guys are jamming in 150 big blinds with 10 seven suited you know just gambling right. I mean you see that in these tournament you know three dollar uh, rebuys and stuff you know all this stuff so probably just pay attention and like you say use the HUD keep an eye on players and just like the, you touched on it you said it's really simple you know put your money in when you're ahead and let go when you're not and if you focus and pay attention on the table of what people are doing and just think logically, I mean, things become a lot easier rather than thinking in situations of what I do with kings in this position. You know, there's no way to play kings in any set position or any way. It's just like, just pay attention a bit more yeah, and sort of like, as you say, do, do the analysis off the table. Right. Yeah. Tree poker. I, I, pretend you're talking to a friend. Another thing you can do is just try to coach your friends. One, learning 
I've learned so much about poker just trying to communicate to my wife what's going on when she's watching like a high stakes tournament. And because you real because you have to break it to a different level. And then when I explain it to, you know, I have a friend who plays like $20 tournaments around here. It's a different level. And then it, as Einstein said, if you can't explain it to your mother, you don't really understand it. So yeah. you need to, in a lot of these times, if you just go through deductive reasoning, if you go back and listen to old episodes of the circuit, as we've referenced, or if you listen to hand, anal hand analysis we do, or anyone does, a lot of times you'll feel like, this is super logical, I could do this. But you're not having that inner monologue when you're playing. You're kind of up in your head, you're freaked out, or you're communi communicating poker with dancing or driving. Yeah. And it's just, you know, you have to feel it. When there's, like, my, maybe Isildur can feel his way around but you, in Phil Ivy, but probably not you. You know, your, yeah. your subconscious probably doesn't work that high of a level. And even if, like, Phil Ivy has, like, an incredible subconscious, that's literally, how many years has that guy been playing? 15? That's 15 years of conditioning. You can do it his route, and it might not even work because poker is so difficult now. Or you could start asking yourself logical questions and seeing how far that gets you. I am more I, – I could not tell you how much I struggle with poker compared to how easy people think it is for me. But there, yeah. it's amazing how far just hard work will take you. And possibly we've touched on it before. If you're playing online, maybe drop down the number of tables and yeah, make yourself yeah, sit, sit, sit and think a little bit more through the hands rather than – I mean, it does. It can get boring if you've been playing lots of tables and you drop down to like, you know, two or three. But if you have, it probably help your thought process, even if you just did it like one day a week or something. You, you know, if you really are learning about poker, you're gonna love it. I played a four tabling session the other day for a sweat session for uh, Pokar, the backing stable, and then mm -hmm. uh, it got down to one table, and I had to talk about. Uh, you know, just hand by hand what I thought was going on. And if you really are a fan of poker, you'll love it. It is boring at the beginning, but if you make yourself like go through every hand and really take it seriously, that's my favorite session I've played over the last week. And I'm kind of grateful my video card crapped out because I probably wouldn't have played four tables without it. But if there's uh, check out my article, be your own leadership on pocket fives. It's a guide to, uh, uh, you, it's a guide to like recording yourself and telling yourself what what you're thinking. I have yeah. never met a guy who did this who didn't come back going, I learned so much about my game during this uh, point. And check out the check out the article to a lesser extent. Oscill I think it's called Oscillation. Oscillation. Uh, it's yeah. about it's a uh, it's my newest article on Bluff Magazine. But what you're trying to do is like you think of like a spr uh, sprinter. You think of a sprinter's physique. And then you think about a marathon runner. Who would you rather be? The sprinter's physique is very, very taut, very ready to spring, very, very pinpoint, because he makes sure his rest periods are serving a purpose, and then he increases his stress as much as possible when he goes in. You can compare this to cash game players. A lot of, I don't know a really high-stakes cash game player who plays all day, every day. Phil Gelfon talks a lot of, uh, does a lot of other things. Phil Ivy does a lot of other things. They all do a lot of other things. Now you think about MTTers that play every hour of every day. Are they really getting better? 
if you want to yeah. you want to increase the stress, increase the amount of thought, increase the number of things that make you feel insecure when you play, and then you want to step back, not think about poker at all, completely refresh, then come in, review, plan again, then go in, increase the stress. Just like lifting weights, just like preparing to sprint are as opposed to being a marathon runner. Mm-hmm. It's a good analogy. Uh, he also mentioned don't bet and just touching that. It's not been discussed. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the implications of seeing a don't bet from a weak player and be a strong player and how you would counter both. Okay, here here I'm going to give out something I really shouldn't give out because this has uh, helped me quite a bit. And, ooh, that sounds so tasty. I, should, I shouldn't yeah. be giving this out. But, no, I mean, seriously, <laughs> there's a really easy trick to figuring out whether a C-bet is on – I mean, a donk bet is honest or not. And once once I tell it to most people, it's like, oh, my God, no, duh. But somebody taught it to me many years ago, and I, I never hear it brought up again. If you fold to continuation bets 60% of the time, what do you generally do when you have a, when you miss the board? You check fold because you miss about 60% of the time, right? Yeah. So – if you see a fold to C-bet that's 60% or higher and a guy donk bets into you, nine times out of ten, he's hit something. Almost always he's hit something. Otherwise, in order to get those stats, he would need to be like check folding when he hits the board and like donk leading when he has nothing, which is very hard to construe. Now, obviously, there is a form of this. He could be like check folding like bottom pair no kicker when there's a number of draws on the board. And he could be donk leading like a gut shot with backdoor flush draws but you can see you're really stretching to make that conclusion nine times out of a ten if you see a grinder with a 60 65 percent fold to see that donk lead into you he has a flush draw he has a set or he has top pair you're starting to see it a lot more and you can go from that point now if you see a guy who has a full to see of 30 percent and he donk leads into you this is a guy who fools around a little more so you want to one thing you can take a look at is aggression frequency on every street. See if he follows it up. There is a donk bet statistic that, that, that can let you know how often this guy does it. The other thing you can look at, and this is, okay, this is getting really hard. This is the, like, Mortal Kombat, like, really long combo. But if you, <laughs> if you can get this, it's really... Finish him. It's awesome. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> such a sick feeling when you nail this on people. If you see a guy... Okay, let's see you see a fold to C-bet on the flop, that's 30%. Then you see a fold to turn C-bet, that's like 60. That that means with most of the mediocre hands, this guy is check-calling the flop and then making a decision on the turn, and most of the time he's veering toward folding, which means a lot of times when he donk bets, it's nothing. If his fold to C-bet is 30 on the flop and 30 on the turn, that means he hits something and he holds on, which means his donk leading range is a little weaker if that hold on i think i'd mix that up you get if a guy is folding a lot on the turn that means he's floating more with his mediocre hands which means his donk betting range is either complete nothing or it's like the best hands and if he check calls check calls a lot that means most of his mediocre hands he check calls with and the donk leading percentage tends to be a little wider. I find with the guys with the 30-30 fold to C-bet, fold to turn bet, they're check calling a lot more of their made hands, which means when they donk bet, it tends to be nothing. Whereas the 
the guy who goes 30-60 is a little more balanced or 30-50 or something like that. That That's getting really hard. If you can just f- remember the full to see bet being 60, being a pretty good barometer of where, whether it's honest or not, you'll do way better than 90% of people. And you'll find if it's a reg with that kind of stats, like it's almost always they flopped a straight, they flopped a set. They're afraid they're not going to get action or top two pair. If it's like 30% or lower, they are capable of donk betting like medium flush draws, absolute nothing. And if you find they don't fire the turn enough, try calling and seeing what they do on the turn. If they do fire the turn a lot, raise the flop or fold or make a plan to call two streets. Now, I just overly complicated this a lot, and this is hard to communicate through the radio in five minutes. But if you do want to work with me, if you can mark all those hands where you've been in that situation and hire me privately, uh, I can really break it down a lot more. And for free stuff, check out Dissecting the Donk Bet on WPT.com. It's it's an article I wrote for their website. Uh, Probably gave away the most information I've ever given away about donk betting. Basics for donk betting. When you donk bet, ask yourself these questions. Is my hand good enough to check raise? And is my hand bad enough to check fold? Is my hand good enough to check call? If the answer to all three of these is no, then you must donk bet. And that'll help you quite a bit. Cool. That seems good advice. Uh, the last one is the story I spoke about at the start. Guy emailed in. All right. So it's quite it's quite long, so I'm going to try paraphrase some it. So um, Guy's emailed in. He wants to remain anonymous for personal reasons and probably because like his story. Um, it's Gavin Smith, isn't it? Yeah, it's Gavin Smith. Yeah, um, here we go. Uh, I'm a full-time pro, but that statement is probably misleading as I'm now currently broke. I had a nice touch a few months back and was 40k in profit. I thought I was the real deal and had made it. I had a huge poker ego, started playing bigger and taking shots. I played all the big MTTs online, partied a lot, took holidays, travelled to EPTs and played in cash games way above my bankroll. The end product is I'm not currently... Sorry, I'm now currently down to my last 200 euros. That's life roll and bankroll all in one. I was so unprofessional, it's frightening. I went from being in denial about the whole situation to being depressed to being where I am now, which is actually positive about the future. The money's gone and I can't turn back the clock. Stupid as it may sound, I think I needed to go through this for my own sake to get back on a road that you know I want to be on. I've got a bigger desire to study hard now and become a professional in the true sense of the word. word. Uh, I've taken a long hard look at myself. He thinks that the poker uh, poker media portray it that you need to lead a certain lifestyle once you go pro, or that's how it feels to him. Um, right, right. It's kind, kind of what drives me nuts. Yeah, he just comes back. So, the, so here we go. So that was his story. So my question to Alex is, I know he's gone broke in the past. How did he cope with it on a personal level, an emotional level? My Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, but n- n- that's part of the answer, but I'm kind of saying that as a joke because I know a lot of people won't <laughs> take that. Uh, yeah. I-, I know a lot of people won't take that seriously. Can I get a hallelujah? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man, brother. But no, yeah. no I mean, um, wow, that's a, that's a very intricate. The, the first thing is the poker media we want to blame. You, you got to – you now have seen the other side of it. You see what happens to a lot of these guys and why there's a lot of 
uh, I'm sure there's a lot of guys who've won a million dollars that did the exact same thing you did. And you don't hear it. They don't write anything about it on bluff. And I mean, you can even extend this to Eric Lindgren, the guy who reportedly, I, I mean, the amount of money that guy must've been making from full tilt was probably staggering. And you got a hole to come out of because you feel like, oh, I squandered this opportunity. But imagine a guy that could just forget $2 million at some point, you know, how he must be feeling. And the poker media very rarely gets into that. So first off, congratulations. This is your graduation. Welcome to Real Professional Poker. You've learned it. Uh, <laughs> the other thing is don't beat yourself up. It's uh, it, You did it with 40000 Uh I'm not going to go into the amounts I did it with. And I can tell you guys who had a million dollars cash that are just gone. Uh, they lost all their money. They're on a stake. They're not doing that well. You got to learn this lesson with a very small amount of money. So don't beat yourself up. It's uh, I'm sure you had a good time. You know, <laughs> like this is something you're going to look back on and go, well, you know, that was an interesting time in my life. I'm pretty ashamed I did the whole, you know, I, I got, I literally got a mansion on the beach with a private beach and all that. And when I look back, it's like, God, you idiot, like the amount of money you squandered. But at the same time, it's, you know, there's always a part of you that's like, okay, I did that. It's a, you, you partied a lot. You probably had a lot of fun. You probably got a lot of experience from playing high stakes tournaments. Let's just take that as a win. And if you listen if you read any biography of any person who got successful outside of like athletics where it was like, you're a prodigy, here's a lot of money and a lot of people who are going to take it from you. But I mean, there's a version of this in everything. Every band that got successful, there's no, on Tuesday we were playing in our high school gymnasium and on Friday we had a triple platinum record and we were touring the world and nobody had a drug problem. No, their manager stole money from them. Uh, one of the guy's girlfriends started sleeping with someone else. They had a guy leave. They didn't know if they could make their first album. They made the first album with hardly any money. It flopped. You take this to sports. There's a lot of guys who played like 20 hours. Uh, I mean, 20 hours, 20 years, and they have no money left at it. Imagine you lost 40,000. You learned a lot from it. A lot of these guys lost 20 years of their life, and it's not like they can go play. They can go play football again at 50. Yeah. It's over. It's a the refrigerator for refrigerator Perry. If you're an American, uh, he was a big football player. He was in a ton of commercials, super famous. He lays bricks right now. Mike Tyson lives at the bus station half the time, I'm sure. And these guys have these guys have been robbed. They have nothing left, and they're never gonna get up. You took your first lick. You're probably gonna get owned for more money in the future. You're gonna play a game. A li- now you know what happens when you play games that are too high. Now you know what happens when you party too much. You got to take it back and you got to find what's really important to you. Do you like poker enough? If you only like poker for the money, you've just realized money is crap. I don't know anyone who's made a ton of money that's super happy. In fact, most of the people I know who've made a ton of money at this game are miserable all the time. And I don't like hanging out with them because it's, I might joke about how bad the poker industry is right now, but I'm very grateful for my life and I'd rather be around people like that. And there's not a lot of people like that. You're seeing the BS in this industry. It's more fun for those reporters to, to talk about what they wish they could be than what is actual responsibility. Most of the best professionals, you don't even know. They play very 
a lot of times they play small stakes. They get a lot of rake back. I know one guy that's backing like 20 guys. All he ever did is play sit and goes with 40% rake back on some network nobody's ever heard of. And he's got more money than he has an ungodly amount of money. But Mm -hmm. it's a, you really have to, you know, you have to value this time, and it's really good. You learn this with 40000 and not 100000 or 300000 or a million. In go back, you need to find what really matters to you. Is it your family? Is it, you know, a significant other? Is it, and you need to have a value system. A value system is what you'll reflect upon, will be the mirror that will let you know, am I really doing what... I, am I really doing what I want to be doing? You take everything during the day and look at those values and look into it as if it were a mirror and see your, the real reflection of what you're doing come back at you. The two values, I just, I'm writing a blog about this. It's going to be out in the next few days. I, somebody said that to me and it made total sense. And I, I asked myself, what are my values? And the two I came up with were appreciation, and appreciation for a job in poker. And you can show appreciation through the level of effort you put in. The, the Taking the present as a gift, meaning you're not high when you play, you're not drunk when you play, you're not drunk the night before so you can't play like w- without your head being fuzzy. If you want to drink once a night, that's gr- I mean once a week, that's fine. But you can't play the next day if you're like most people. And uh-huh. Going, going. Are you showing appreciation for your job? Because there are way harder. You just realized you had this amazing opportunity, and you feel like you blew it. But that opportunity is still there. You made that money doing something right. You, you're a way better player than you were before that 40k. The potential for you to make more than this 40,000 is greater than it was before you made it. The only thing that could make it worse is your attitude, and you, you need to look at. Do I show appreciation for this opportunity I've been given by showing up clear-minded, by studying? This is a big thing. Nobody studies in poker. I am one of the slowest learners you could imagine. I have an edge so many times when I play only because I did the work before I got there. I never – I was the dumbest kid in my math classes, in my language classes growing up, but I did my homework, and I showed up, and I got a grade, and I got out of there. it, It takes pride to go into a game knowing you put in the work. And it takes pride to go, you know what, I messed up this hand. I'm going to mark this hand, and I'm going to review it. And you need to find love and appreciation for the game by doing it as a professional, not doing it for money. You do it for money, you'll never make it, or you'll make it, and it will be gone because you put it on, you put it on this pedestal. And now you think yeah. you need to make something of it. The, uh, the other value that... I think is really important is you need to have uh, the what I always just call it honor, but honoring the people that got you there, the people that taught you, uh, the people that raised you. Are you honoring them by taking because they they wanted to set you up for a good opportunity, be that your girlfriend, wife, uh, family, whoever, father, mother, whoever. They wanted you to make the best of your life. Now you can use this time that you messed up as a tool to go, wow, I'm never going to do that again. But thankfully I got that out of my system with 40 K. And when I play the next time, I'm going to play limits. I can afford within my bankroll. I'm going to go in with the attitude that I'm here to learn about poker 
Money might not come in the first couple years. It happens. But I'm going to go there and I'm going to learn. I'm going to put my all down every day. And if I am blessed enough to make money, I'm going to take a percentage out and just save it. Save it for a rainy day fund. This is this has made me a much better poker player than ever is taking money out constantly taking money and going harder with within my bankroll with the money i have and constantly you feel way more professional taking money off and putting it in a savings not in partying or anything and i honestly think if you want to be a professional poker player it is a very good attitude to make like one day a week, you eat bad, you drink, you smoke, you do whatever, and that's it. And the next day you take off and you never do it any other time during the week. And there's a reason athletes don't get to do those things because they have a performance related job. If they perform badly, they don't get paid, they get fired. You're in the exact same boat and there's no minimum salary. There's nothing, it's only you. And don't be so hard on yourself. If you, uh, I'm a big fan of the Adam Carolla podcast, and it was a, it's this American like improv comedian who interviews people, and they get one of the things I love about his show is they get in successful actors, successful bands, successful uh, uh, athletes, successful cartoonists, sometimes successful show creators, people from all walks of life. And nine times out of ten, they're, oh, comedians, a lot of comedians that come in. Nine times out of ten, these people say, you know what, I did it for free for ten years because I enjoyed it. Uh, Brian Cranston, uh, the guy who's in Breaking Bad, who's like the talk of America right now, as that show wraps up, talk of the world, actually, it's so popular. He did not, like, get a gig until he was, like, 40. His biggest acting role was being uh, Seinfeld's dentist up until he was like 40. He got turned down by four other shows before he got Malcolm in the middle. And then he used that money to go into Breaking Bad. You know what I mean? And, you know, more power to him. And they asked him, how'd you do that? You know, how, how did you get that far? What, by constantly being put down. And he said, I just really enjoy acting. I really enjoy the process of acting. I enjoy going in for the audition. I enjoy trying to nail it. I ain't try yeah, trying, but he was trying to best myself. Sorry, go ahead. He was, he was he was also selling meth on the side. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, you know what it is. He was yeah. selling on the side, but that's ninety percent of the stories. And when they have guys that come into that show who operate their own business, nine times out of ten they failed so many times before one thing took off. And it, it's really, I mean, this is kind of life. You're not. I mean, I imagine this guy is young. I, you know, who the hell knows anything when they're 19, 22, or even right now, 25. I have, I have a psychologist I talked to. I talked to a psychologist this morning for like an hour. And at the end, I was like, I feel dumber right now than I've ever felt in my life. Just listening to you for an hour. And Mm -hmm. I mean, this is, and I've made, I could have learned, I've learned from a lot of mistakes but you have to go out there and make those mistakes. I know a lot of guys who made a mistake. They couldn't get over it. They were bitter. They were like, I earned it and I blew it. Or I earned it and I couldn't keep it going because I ran so bad or something. You got to – this is part of growing up. I hope you had fun partying. I hope you didn't hurt yourself too much. Get clean. Start working out in the mornings. Start doing a lot of stuff outside of poker. Get a hobby outside of poker. Try to get yourself outside. 
you're going to enjoy it and go in with the attitude I'm here to learn and enjoy learning and I'm sure you're going to do fine yeah I think that's great advice and you touched on it when you said about taking money out off the table you said in a podcast maybe the last one or the one before it you said a great uh, line maybe you'll remember it it was like if you don't take money off the table you're just can't remember if you're, it was you're playing, just playing a, you're, against you're playing a tournament against yourself that lasts That's your it. whole life. And I finally figured yeah. <laughs> you got really disappointed because I said I stole that from someone, but I figured out who that was. That was Mike Carroll. Like my, right. and that's it, it. It's crazy because Mike Carroll never played high stakes, I guess, but he says so many things that are so fascinating to the yeah. normal player. But uh, yeah, and I mean the other comparison comes to between Chip Reese and Stu Unger. Chip Reese wasn't flashy, didn't play tournaments, and yet when they go to his house, he has 18th century paintings hanging and classical music and four stories. And it's the same thing with Barry Greenstein. Wasn't flashy, only started playing tournaments because he, uh, you know, he wanted to do something charity-wise. And you know, they took a lot of money off the table. Stu Unger, flashiest player there ever was died on his card table in his one bedroom apartment you know yeah. it's it sounds really sad but i mean it, you are only as good as a you are only as good as the money you take off the table that is your only salary if you do not take money off the table it is a high score in a space invaders game for the rest yeah. of your life and i didn't know that till like the last couple years and my life has improved dramatically and you have to have other hobbies outside of poker because if you just – you need to be very involved when you come into poker, but you have to have a way to detach. Otherwise, you're going to get very worn out, and you're probably yeah. feeling very worn out right now. If you went on that rush, you're probably desperately trying to make it back. It's okay. That's a normal response, but get something. Get some sport to do. Yet there's a, a lot of my best students, they play a sport on the side. Now, as a – 114 was a professional basketball player. He still goes out and plays basketball. A lot of my guys are in a football league, uh, European football. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, you you got to have something else that you really enjoy. Yeah, definitely. I hope that, uh, you know, you heard it from Alex, who's been through all that, and listened to a few of our old podcasts together, and even the first time I ever interviewed Alex, and you get his full story, and we, we discussed that because – my life paths are similar as well. Made a lot of financial mistakes young. And, you know, it's hindsight. And the main thing is to use that as sort of uh, foresight now, you know, and just learn from it. And don't a make the same mistakes pad. again. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. it's really – I mean, I turned it into – one of the things I really enjoy about my business is telling kids, like, okay, this is going to go wrong. I promise you. And, mm -hmm. you know, if they take my advice, seeing them do way better. And you can take that as a – launching pad i mean i don't know if you're from a country where people don't speak english but there's still a lot of room for po poker coaches and you can just if you can write if you can get involved get involved in the community and yeah. this experience is going to pay off quite a bit because you'll have been there and done that got the t-shirt and yeah, yeah use it as a launching pad yeah the thing that will you will kick yourself now and again for the next Probably a couple of years. Now, you'll be think you're fine, and then you'll kick yourself and have a bit of regret if stuff in your current life is maybe not going the way you want it. But it will pass with time. Just <laughs> you made the money's gone. You, you can only go and make more. Go and make more than it, and make that forty k look like nothing. That's the advice, isn't it? Yeah, and I mean, except that was another person. You know what I mean? Like you completely yeah. 
you've completely changed since that time period. You know what I mean? There, I, you, you have to, if you don't, if you stop evolving, you, you stay the same person. We know a lot of people that have never evolved since. Imagine every guy you went to high school with that are doing, that's doing the same thing 10 years later. They never evolved to the point where they could have made for $40,000 in one week or whatever you did and, yeah. and then blew it. Now, you can either join their ranks and just go, here is where I stop because I'm really pissed off at what I did and I made a mistake. Or I can accept that was a different person that made those mistakes and I'm going to mm-hmm. learn from them because fortunately I was very close to that person at that time and I'm going to move on. Yeah, definitely. Well, that's all the questions for this week. I uh, just need to wrap up some more announcements. Uh, last month's monthly one-outer tournament, um, thanks to everyone for playing that. That's us at the halfway point now, three tournaments down, three to go. Um, first prize, remember, is a free lesson with Alex, so you can pick his brain for an hour over Skype. Uh, if you take down the league, there's a guy who's top of the league, uh, no fold, J-A-A, I think it is, roughly his username. He's clear by one point, um, so there's lots of points available. Um, so, yeah, if you come in, win a tournament, it'll, you get 10 points for the wins. He's on 13, I think. Uh, so, yeah, I'll kick you right up there. Three tournaments left to get points. All the details are on oneouter.com. It's a $5 buy-in, and the next tournament is the 15th of September. Um, so by the time you're listening to this podcast, you should have time to get involved in it. I'll put a link in the post, and there'll also be a link to contact Alex if you wish to speak to him about hiring him, you know, for a few sessions, and you can go into things and tailor to your game and parts of your game you want to work in. And if you got, uh, any, oh, go ahead, go ahead. I, I was just about to say anything you want to add, Alex, before we and, close it down. And if you guys don't want to hire me, check out PokerHeadRush.com. A lot of articles come out on that. Catch me on Twitter at the Assassinato. There's like daily articles, strategy, uh, you know, like the life game outside of poker, what we're trying to focus on, and just some random rants by me. I don't know if you'll be into that, but they come out. Uh, check me out on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash assassinato. Uh, and yeah, hit me up for coaching if you guys want to talk to me privately at assassinatocoaching at, uh, at gmail.com. There is not an at symbol at the beginning. But anyway, uh, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, I think that's it. And uh, remember, you can email your questions to questions at oneouter.com and I'll put them to Alex on the next show or you can tweet them to at oneouter.com. And we'll see you then, Alex, and we'll see what's what next month. Cheers, mate. Cheers.